This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. This is Green and Gold History. 50 plus years of stories, championships, and colorful characters. This is Ace Baseball. This is Green and Gold History. It's time for a little Green and Gold History here on A's Cast. Dave Feldman is our A's historian, and he joins us now here on A's Cast Live. Feldy, I hope you're safe and everything's going good for you and the family. Yeah, we're safe, uh, and without uh, any new baseball, just been living in baseball nostalgia now. All right, so we're doing top 10 Aprils all time in A's history. Yeah, so I figured there's no baseball this April. It's very sad, but it gives us a good chance to look back at some of the players who had fantastic Aprils, fantastic starts to a season, and that led to big things. Um and we, we've seen also the, the opposite, really. We've seen some bad Aprils, right, and a guy still coming through with a good season. So guys like Ben Greve in 1999 hit 132 in April. Right? He was actually hitting 131 as late as May 19th. This is a guy coming off a Rookie of the Year award. And you think he had a bad year. And then you go back and look at it and you go, well, after May 19th or May 20th on, he hit 303 with 25 bombs. Or, or Mike Fires last year. Right, he had a 7.03 ERA at the end of April, and we thought, "Uh-oh, this isn't going to be a good year." And we all know how that turned out: 3.24 ERA the rest of the year, and was terrific. Um, but we're going to talk about the guys who had the best Aprils, and that really led to big things. All righty, let's do it. So, some of the guys who just were short, just some good Aprils to uh, mention: Jed Lowry in 2018, I had 3.39 in April. Uh, going back to 1969, Rick Monday in April had a still the Oakland record, had an RBI in 10 straight games, the last 10 games in April. Uh, Ryan Madsen went 8 for 8 and saved in 2016. Scott Kazmier, 0.99 ERA in 2015. Uh, our friend Dave Henderson in 1991 led to an all-star game berth for him, 387 in April. Uh, and Sonny Gray in 2014, 4-1, 1.76. All fantastic April, just not enough to make our top 10. All right, number 10. Number 10, we go to April 2006, and it's Nick Swisher. Uh, Swish, rookie year, or first full year in 2005, was good, right, 236, but 21 homers and 74 RBI. But you thought, switch hitting outfielder, uh, he's going to be big. And for the 2006 A's in April, he was. Because 2006, he's got off to their typical Mattering start, right? They were 10 and 10 in April. But Swish playing both left field and first base, kind of going back and forth depending on what pitcher was going against them, hit 313 with 10 bombs, four doubles, and he had 24 RBIs in 23 games. 
uh, and just was that driving force. Frank Thomas did not have a good April in 2006. He was not Frank Thomas yet. Uh, Milton Bradley was still finding his way. And that was big because Swisher was a huge morale booster uh, for Bradley. I think Bradley had his best full year in 2006. I think Swish is a big part of that. Um, and Swish also had some big games. He had a two-homer game of Justin Verlander in April of that year. And, and it led to a great year. He had a career-high 35 homers, drove in 95. And that 35 homers is still the A's record for most home runs by a Swish hitter. And it all started with a huge April for Nick Swisher. And just just a guy you want to be around every day. I mean, he's just he's so positive. He just brings that kind of energy that during a long season, he, he just seemed like a guy that could pick up his teammates because you, you might be dragging a little bit, but here comes Swish, and he's ready to rock. Yeah, and it could be taken one of two ways, right? Everyone thought, you know, when Swish first got to the big leagues, he was kind of boisterous, this kid from Ohio, son of a big leaguer, kind of maybe he's a little full of himself. And that wasn't the case at all. Swish was just a guy who just loved playing baseball. Like you said, loved his teammates. I think one of the great highlights of 2006, especially April 2006, the A's went back-to-back-to-back home runs with Bradley Chavez and Frank Thomas. And the guy in the dugout having more fun than anybody during that was Nick Swisher. And and the, the replays of that are unbelievable to watch Swish's happiness for his teammates. And it really was. It went that way all through that season and all through really Swish's career. He had a very good career uh, and a World Series championship with the Yankees in 09. You know, their personalities are a little bit different, but what reminds me, like that story you just told, is like Matt Chapman, where like when, when fires through the no-hitter, Chapman didn't really have a good game, but he was fired up more than anybody. He just You love players like that. All right, number nine. Number nine, we go to 1988, a year which we see the A's win 104 games. And it was Dennis Eckersley. Now, Eck, remember, takes over as a closer this last couple months of 1987 for Jay Howe, finished with 16 saves. So he's coming into 1988 as, for the first time, a full-time closer. All right? There was no question about his role here. And he goes lights out in April. Nine games, nine saves, no runs. I mean, that is, it's perfection, right? And four of those nine saves were more than one inning. And we always hear about these one innings. When, when Eck first started in 88, he was coming in in the eighth. He was getting one plus or two inning saves. And he just slammed the door every time. And it went through the whole year, right? 45 saves. And then you look at Eck's Aprils. In 88 and 89 and 90 combined, just in April, he did not allow a run. In three seasons, did not allow a run in April. It's unreal. 24 out of 25 saves, 2-0 record in those three Aprils combined. But but in 88, when he announced himself as the closer, and to come out like that, no runs, 9 for 9 in saves, uh, that's that's quite an introduction to to a Hall of Fame closer's career. You know what? I, I, I think X's going to have a pretty good career after that. I, I think uh, things might go his way. What do you think? It's just you know, it really was amazing to watch. I mean, I remember in 87 when the A's acquired him, right, you know, right near the end of spring training, um, what, April 3rd, right before the season's going to start, this washed-up pitcher. The A's didn't really have a spot in the rotation for him. But all of a sudden, he's having these great performances out of the bullpen and slowly moving his way up where Tony La Russa said, we need him to close games, especially when Jay Howell got hurt. And then to finally say, this is the guy. 
And for Eck, and you watch those early years as a closer and the energy that he brought out there, right? And he talked about it. He pitched with fear, right? He was so afraid of failing. And so his energy and his focus was so on point. And that's where all that emotion was coming from, right? Every strikeout was a huge deal for him because it was, you know, one step closer to finishing the game. And it just, it was amazing to watch him those years. And Ray Ratto at the time, or a columnist of the examiner, always had that great line about when Eck came in the game, it was time to grab your car keys because you were packing up to go home. <laughs> All right, number eight. Number eight, another great April in 2000 for a guy who would go on to win the MVP. That's Jason Giambi. And you look back at Jason Giambi's 1999 season, it was fantastic. 99 for an A's team that kind of stayed in the race, in the wild card race until the end of September. Uh, but really didn't feel like a contender. Uh, he had 315, 33 homers, 105 walks, a 975 OPS. And he's becoming a legitimate superstar in the game in 99. And in April, again, just announcing himself. And those 24 games in April, 27 runs batted in, nine homers, 15 walks, showing that great eye, an OPS of over 1,000, hit two homers on opening night for Sadeo Nomo and the Tigers. Had a five RBI game against the White Sox, a four RBI game at Fenway. And this was a 2018 that would go on to win the West. And, and that April that Giambi had was just huge. I mean, that was where you saw a guy who could be a superstar become a superstar. And you look at his numbers to win the MVP, 333 average, 43 homers, an Oakland record, 137 RBI, and just huge mammoth numbers and really might have even topped himself in 2001 should have won the MVP in 2001. It's an argument for another day, but that April of 2000 where he said, I'm here and this A's team's here. It was amazing to see. He was a beast. I mean, he was, uh, in in college, he, uh, so I faced him twice. First time I struck him out on Saturday, Sunday, he hit a home run off of me that had to have gone. So I played against him when they played on campus because they ended up playing at this park later on, but they used to play and there was a big field and they had these batting cages. He hit it over the batting cages on me. Oh, geez. I mean, it had to have been 500 feet. I, it was, it, it was like <laughs> one of those, you just turned it. I admired it. It was hit so far. All right. Uh, number seven. Number seven. And the guy who actually got nicknamed for a while, there was a pin made of this of Mr. April. And that's Dave Stewart. And Dave Stewart in April, April 88, he's 6-0. and April 89, he's 5-0. and And again, this is with Eckersley helping to close some of these games. He doesn't give up a run. What a combination of Stewart and Eck. But in April 1990 was the best Dave Stewart April. In five starts, he goes 5-0. and He has an ERA of 1.32, an opponent average of 208, just dominating. This is a guy coming off the 1989 World Series MVP plus three straight 20-win seasons already going into 1990. And then how does he end the month? Seven and, a, seven and two-thirds shutout innings at Fenway against his favorite, Roger Clemens, as the A's win one nothing. Another great Stewart outdoing Clemens night. Uh, and just led to his fourth straight 20-win season, all right, 22 and 11. But you look at his Aprils, those three seasons from 88 to 90, he had 17 starts in April, and he went 16 and 0. I mean, just, it's unreal how these A's got off to such great starts 
right? And it's all because of Stewart and Eck. They were untouchable that first month of the season. Number six is Sean Manaya, and that was April 2018. And this also includes March, because at this point, the A's are starting the season a little earlier now, so March, April. But Sean Manaya in 2018, uh, six starts, a 4-2 and two record. One of those losses was a one nothing heartbreaker. Uh, 1.03 ERA, a 134 opponent average, seven walks, 37 strikeouts, and, of course, a no-hitter versus the Boston Red Sox. And if you think back to that no-hitter, and I know uh, NBC Sports California just reran this a couple times, uh, going up against a Red Sox team that got off to the season, what were they, 17-2 and two coming into that game. And they had 10-plus hits in 13 of the last 15 games, a 293 team average. This was a Red Sox team that is smoking hot. They're off to an unbelievable start. And Shamanaya throws a no-hitter against them. And then he backs it up. His next start, he goes to Houston, seven innings, four hits, one earn, unearned run in Houston. A Shamanaya, brilliant April, rewarded with the AL Pitcher of the Month. Uh, but that was just, he was lights out back in 2018. Yeah, I know. I've uh, got to see that uh, this kid, he's going to be special, and we're you know hoping for a full year from him this season. Number five. Number five, Hall of Famer Ricky Henderson in 1982. Uh, again, Rick, Ricky's coming off the 1981, the strike-shortened season, where he finished second in the AL MVP. Should have won it. Raleigh Fingers won it. Made no sense. Ricky should have won it. Uh, but in 81, he hits 319. He had 56 steals in 108 games. Remember, he had the 100-steal season in 1980. But 1982 – with not a very good A's team, a lot of injuries. Billy Martin kind of getting cranky with his job with the A's, but he loved Ricky, and he gave Ricky the green light. In April of that year, Ricky has a 445 on-base percentage, thanks to 31 walks, and he gets 22 steals in the 22 games. And the 22 stolen bases in April, still a major league record for April. 22 steals in a month. And obviously, he finishes the year with the major league record, 130 steals. He gets caught 42 times. So he attempted 172 stolen bases. And it's just an unreal number. The other thing, you look back at that year, when he broke Lou Brock's record of 119, right? that was August 27th. He stole four bases that night. Uh, so he ends up with, what, 122. He only steals eight bases in the last month of the year, and four of them came in the last two games. I know it's a lot of that was because his body had broken down. I mean, it's a lot of running, a lot of pounding. Uh, but you think of what Ricky could have done if he kept running in September? He could have had 140 stolen bases, 145 stolen bases, and it all started with the 22 steals in April. By the way, speaking of things that we enjoy with uh, old-school baseball, uh, how about stolen bases? <laughs> Good point. Yeah, Dave, you just nobody risk it anymore. I don't know. I, but these names you got, the next four. I, <laughs> all right, number four. Number four. We go back to April 1984, Dave Kingman. Oh, King Kong. King Kong. First year with the A's. Now, the A's signed him basically to be the DH. They had Jeff Burroughs in 1983, and Burroughs playing most of the year as a DH, and he had only 10 homers. And Kingman was coming off a bad year with the Mets. And got only into 100 games at 198, only 13 bombs. But in April for the A's, 
he announced that this was a great signing. Ten homers, 26 runs batted in, in 21 games. And he really announced himself April 16th at the Kingdome in Seattle with three homers and eight runs batted in. And at the time, he was only the second player in Oakland history to hit three in a game. And the previous was Reggie Jackson in 1969 in Oakland versus the Seattle Pilots, a team that had now become the Brewers. So three homer games, very rare at this point. And that was still only one of only five players in Oakland history to have eight RBI in a game. Ends the year, 35 homers, 118 runs batted in. He's awarded the outstanding DH of the year. Goes on to hit 30 homers in 85, 35 in 86. Uh, he still holds the A's franchise record for 98 career homers as a DH. Uh, Chris Davis is at 93, so we expect if we play baseball this year that Chris Davis will pass him. But that April, where you had this slugger, you had Kong coming to Oakland and just bashing 10 bombs. I just, I just to me, that's, that's the type of April you want to have if you're new to a team and coming off a bad year. Yeah, he, he led the league in home runs multiple times. He was an all-star. And when we talk all-time nicknames, that doesn't come up enough. But the fact that your nickname's King Kong, and that's awesome. That's awesome. Kong. I just Dave King, man. He was big and tall. He took up all that batter, that space in the batter's box. It was awesome. He was a USC guy, right? Yeah, I believe he was. He pitched also. He was a pitcher slash hitter. And when the Giants had talked about actually having him pitch a little bit, but you couldn't keep that bat down. I mean, that power was just, it was too raw to, to, to give up on to make a pitcher out of. At one point, I mean, you think about uh, Rob, Rod, it, was, it was Rod Dato, their, their longtime coach at USC. All the great, from Freddie Lynn, they had so many great, Tom Seaver, they had so many great players at USC. But at one point, when you've got Mark McGuire, Randy Johnson, and Jack Del Rio, and Jack yeah. Del Rio was the MVP of the Rose Bowl. He was a great linebacker, but he was catching. I actually got to talk to Del Rio about uh, catching Randy Johnson. He, he said, Randy and everybody, no one knew where the ball was going. It, it, it was like <laughs> the most uncomfortable at-bat in the history of at-bats. But, God, the talent that came out of USC back then. All right, number three. Well, what a perfect seg, because number three is USC's own Mark McGuire. Now, 96, you know, this is a healthy Mark McGuire, maybe a little too healthy, as we know about now. But at the time, uh, he had 312, 52 homers in 1997. No, 1996. Now it's 1997. This is the Powerball A's, and McGuire, Hermano Barroa, the return of Jose Canseco. And in April that year, McGuire hits 322. 11 homers, 8 doubles, 25 RBIs, 23 walks. Just a monster. And just, you know, this is this is a different McGuire than the you know, 1990 on the ninth inning. And then the last day of the month, April 30th, at Jacobs Field in Cleveland, he hit the longest home run to this day that I think I've ever seen. And I was there at the Kingdom when he hit the ball off Randy Johnson into the upper deck of the Kingdom. And that was far. But here in Cleveland, he hits a ball off the Budweiser sign in deep left field at Jacobs Field, that progressive field. Uh, it was a joke. I mean, he used to joke about a guy hitting a home run off the Budweiser sign, and he did it. And I'm telling you, if you have not seen this, go to YouTube and go look it up. McGuire, Hershiser, Budweiser sign. It's all you need to put in. It'll come up. It's Greg Papa and Ray Fossey on the call. You get one of Ray Fossey's classic. Wow. I mean, it was 
unreal. Uh, after the game, Jim Tomey sends over a six-pack of Budweiser to McGuire. Tomey, the first baseman, and he couldn't believe it. I he just you've never seen power like this. Um, what a month! And then he has, you know, he's having a great year. He gets he gets traded to the Cardinals, finishes the year with 58 homers, then goes on to hit 70 homers in '98, 65 in '99. But that April of '97 and the cap it off of the homer off the Budweiser sign, unbelievable. Yeah, I, yeah, and that one, that that the the, the one off Randy Johnson at the Kingdom. <laughs> that's just that's that's the one of the greatest power versus power you'll ever see. Oh, and the sound! I still remember the sound when the ball hit the bat off Randy. The one in Cleveland's off Earl Hershiser, and it was funny because the year before, McGuire hit a homer off Hershiser at the Coliseum when they were doing the construction on Mount Davis, and he literally he hit it so high and he hits it up what will eventually be the top section above the suites. Um, you have no way to tell with the construction. And Hershiser, after the game, said, I thought Kenny Lofton was going to catch it. Catch it? Get the ball 480 feet. Unreal. <laughs> Number two. Number two, one of the great opening acts in Oakland history, and that's 1971 and Vita Blue. And this is, you know, this is the beginning of – the, the summer of Vita Blue, where you go on to win the AL MVP and the AL Cy Young. And you didn't start very well. The A's opened that year in 1971 with a one-game series in Washington against the Senators. A one-game series all the way across the country. Uh, Vita gets rocked. He gets knocked out in the second inning. The A's actually come home, and Vita will start the A's fourth, fifth game of the season. And his last six starts in April, Vida goes 6-0 and with a 1.06 ERA, 56 strikeouts in 51 innings. He only allows one homer. All six of those starts were complete games. Three of those were shutouts. I mean, un- unreal. And he goes on to have an unbelievable season, right? 24-8, and 1.82, 300 strikeouts. Uh, more tickets were sold to see Vida Blue pitch in baseball that summer than any other player. Uh, it was the summer of Ida Blue. It was just, he, the, the, the Blue Blazer, starting the All-Star game. It was all about Vida in 1971. I love it. And number one. Number one's another Hall of Famer. 1974, Reggie Jackson. You know, Jackson's coming off the 73 AL MVP, the World Series MVP, but 74, He's off to the best start and really the best season of his career. In April of that year, he had 397, 10 homers, seven doubles, 27 runs batted in, OPS of over 1,300, also steals seven bases, hit safely in 15 of the 20 games in April with 10 multi-hit games. He is on fire. And this is, this is Reggie. This is peak Reggie right now. Starting on opening day when he went four for five with two doubles, a homer, a steal, against the Rangers, uh, and then a little personal story. Um, it's June 2nd now. Reggie's still hitting 390 in June 2nd, and I go to the game with my dad. I'm six years old, and I still remember to this day. I asked, I asked my dad, I said, do you think Reggie will hit a home run today? And he said, well, you know, you never know. First time up, bomb, Reggie hits a homer. Second time up, boom, Reggie hits a homer. Two now, third time up, and this is the thing that always stuck with me, a slow roller to third, and Reggie beats it out. 
for a three for three day. The end of that game, he's hitting 399. Three days later, what happens? Reggie and Billy North get into a brawl at Tiger Stadium. Reggie hurts his shoulder. Ray Fossey, who tried to break it up, he's out for three months with the herniated disc in his neck. Rest of the year, Reggie would only hit 239. But for that beginning, that, that to me, that was peak Reggie. And April really sold it. That, Reggie was going to have the best year, I mean, just Hall of Fame year and a Hall of Fame career if he doesn't get into that fight at Tiger Stadium. You know, it's it's these guys that they were in their prime in the 70s. But a guy like me, I was born in 72. So I didn't get to really see these guys in the 70s. So I saw them in the 80s. And I was mentioning like with Garvey, that's it. Reggie could run. Reggie played center field at one point. I mean, he was a, you know, we just, you know, some of us remember him that he's a Yankee now and he's older and he's slower and then he's an angel. But some of these guys were just in their prime and they could not only hit bombs, but they could really run too. Yeah, you know, five tool players, right? Because he also had an arm. You know, he, he throw guys out with the power, the average. It, it was everything that Reggie could do. And you talk again about multi-sport athlete coming up. I mean, Reggie was a football player. He went to Arizona State originally on a football scholarship. Um you know, he could do everything. And obviously, as he got older, he started having the hamstring injuries with, with curtailed his speed. But for when he was with the A's, he really was a super-duper star. I mean, that was the cover of Sports Illustrated. That's how good Reggie. I mean, think about that. On June 2nd, hitting 399, Reggie Jackson, the guy who struck out more times than anybody in baseball history, is hitting 399. I mean, he, he was never better than those first couple months of, of 1974. All righty, run it down one more time. Best Aprils, top 10 best Aprils in Oakland A's history. Number 10, Nick Swisher in 2006. Number 9, Dennis Eckersley, April 1988. Jason Giambi, April 2000. Mr. April, Dave Stewart, April 1990. Sean Manaya, April 2018. Ricky Henderson, April 1982. Number four, Dave Kong Kingman, April 1984. Number three, Mark McGuire, April 97. Number two, Vita Blue, April 1971. And the best April in Oakland A's history, number one, Reggie Jackson, April 1974. Great stuff. Be well, be safe with your family, and hopefully we will see you soon. You too, Townie. Be well. Green and gold history right here on A's Cast and A's Cast Live. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.